Okay, now we are going to read First uh, Kings. Corey's going to come, and he is going to uh, read to us the scripture for today. Take it away, Corey. Uh, reading from the first book of Kings. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the word God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken to Elijah. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Corey. I love that last part. Now I know. Now I know. It's solid. There's some solid evidence. This woman, she's living in a famine. Now I know. Okay, Star Wars. Like I said, I'm very nervous, and I'm going to do my best not to mess it up. I'm going to talk about Star Wars in a general way, because if I get specific, I'm going to mess something up, and our Star Wars fanatics are going to get all over me. I've already had somebody say, I'm sending you an email, okay? I know this. <laughs> keep it way, way up here. We're going to keep it way up here, all right? Look, I saw four, five, and six as a kid, and I got to tell you, I didn't like this like bore all into it and think deeply about all the themes that are there. But, you know, to prepare for this, I've gone back in and really had to think deeply about what's happening in Star Wars. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm reading about, I'm watching this. I have, a, I, I have this document on my desk, about 30 pages long. It's called The Theology of Star Wars. It's all seven movies. Yeah. Man, does Luke, did Lucas intend this? There's all these deep biblical themes in here. Was he... Was this intentional? This is random? How did this happen? There's deep biblical thing. What's going on in Star Wars? All right, general sense, right? Can we all agree on this? There's this force at work, right? There's the dark side. There's the light side. Can we agree on that? And they're at battle, right? Can we, can we get there? Okay, I mean, it's not deep, right? Just on a general level. There's this war, and the dark side is always whispering. It's always seducing, isn't it? Seducing. So who's one of the most famous characters that got seduced? Yeah, Darth Vader. Yeah. How did that end up for him? I don't, it's not good. Right? It wasn't good. It ended up good. So the dark side is always whispering, whispering, trying to get our attention and try to, and it's, it's taken us to this place of, you know, fear. It's making these promises that, yo, you come with me and everything's going to be great. And it confuses the people who listen to the dark side. And what does that have to do with the Bible? Ho, 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 ho. It has a lot to do with the Bible, and this is what we're going to see today. What I want to talk about this morning is, is the courage to believe that God is the sustainer of our lives. Because I believe in Star Wars, 
And more importantly in the Bible, that the Bible is saying that God is the sustainer, but the dark side is saying, no, believe in me, trust in me, and I will bring fulfillment to your life. And this war is constantly going on. And the greatest thing as we go through this today, we're going to see, we get to the end, just what the, what the widow just said, the widow, the most least likely person to trust in God. Least likely. She's the most vulnerable. She's at the heart of Baal worship where they don't believe in God and they believe in Baal. She's the least likely and she trusts in God. And what does God do? God proves it. He proves it to her. All right. Now, I want to take a running start at this, okay? How did we get to the famine that Corey just read about? How do we get to this place of tremendous lack and fear and all these things that are going? How we get? So let's take a running start. Let's start all the way back in the Garden of Eden, if we can, for just a moment. Really, really quick, all the way up to 1 Kings, okay? So Garden of Eden, you would think the name Eden in the Hebrew would mean something like a park or a forest, right? That, your na- that was my natural assumption. I don't know about you. Eden, Garden of Eden. I would think, okay, well, that's a park. That's probably what it means. It doesn't mean that. The name Eden in Hebrew means abundance, In other words, this is the garden of abundance. So what God created is for us to live in a place that doesn't lack, that's not a place of famine, not a place where I'm fearful all the time because something's going to run out. No, no. It's a place where I feel, oh, no, I'm filled up. I'm good. I'm solid. I'm not (gasps) panicking all the time like the widow was. No, no, no. The garden of abundance. That's, 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 That's where they were. Okay. We get to the third chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter three, and what happens? Cosmic shift takes place, doesn't it? This snake... Who is this guy? Let's say, anybody know who that is? Anybody? Bill Maher. Okay, I don't, I don't watch his show, but I've seen a lot of his clips and stuff, particularly if he's talking to somebody who believes in the Bible, and invariably any time, you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Invariably, any time he's talking to somebody who's talking about the Bible, he always brings this up. The talking snake. The talking snake. You know, when he says it, I'm going to be honest with you, when he says it, the talking snake, I think to myself, yeah, you know, you're right. I don't, I don't you know, I don't know of any snakes that are talking. That seems really silly. The silly talking snake. And immediately, I just feel like the credibility of the Bible just like weighs way down, way down. It's so condescending. Silly talking snake. Well, um, context is king. The Bible says that it's a piece of divinely inspired literature and a great piece of literature. And as any great piece of literature, there's symbolism in them. And you have to understand the context, like the context of when it was written and what it meant to the people it was written in. So can I suggest this to you? At the time it was written, the people who heard the silly talking snake when they saw that written, you know what that meant to them? The most anti-God symbol imaginable to them when it was written back then was a snake. All right? Now let's read it differently. Because they're seeing the symbolism. So what does the anti-God say? Well, first, let's talk about what God said. All right? Here's what God said to Adam and Eve. Let's start with Eve first. All right? Eve, woman, was the final piece of creation. Everything's created except for Eve, except for the woman. And God looks at his creation, and it's awesome. And then God says, this is no good. This is totally incomplete. Utterly, God makes the first negative statement in the entire Bible. This is no good. This world is incomplete without the woman. Is any, any women here want to say, yeah? Okay. Completely incomplete. And God says, you complete it. You're the crescendo of creation. You are the completer. If anything is complete in this world, you're complete. And the anti-God comes along. What does he say? The anti-God, the anti-God says you're incomplete. Isn't this fascinating? 
God says, you complete everything. Anti-God says, you are completely incomplete. You are lacking. You're not enough. What did God say to Adam? God said to Adam, I said, Adam, look, you're strong. You protect this garden. You protect everything in it. Strong. You are strong. You're stronger than what you think you are. You're strong. Protect it. The anti-God shows up, and he's talking to the woman Eve and saying, you're lacking. And I don't know what the anti-God did to Adam. I don't know if he gave him the stare. I don't know if he flexed his muscles. I don't know what he did, but he caused Adam to go weak in his knees because, you know, Adam was there the whole time while the anti-God was talking. And he went weak. So, sum it up. Can I sum it up? Sum it up. Here's what happened. Adam goes weak, and Eve goes incomplete. And when they believe that, when they believe the whisper from the dark side, just like Darth Vader, when they believe the whisper from the dark side, a cosmic shift takes place. And we go from a garden of abundance, an abundance, to a world of scarcity. Everything changed. So Cain kills his brother Abel because of scarcity, because of famine, because of lack, because of need, because I got to have more, right? Got to have it, greed, more. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. The Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians and just keep spiraling on and on and on until we get to King Ahab right here. King Ahab is the king of Israel. I want to show you a map. Let's look at this map. I know it's going to be hard to see, but you're fairly familiar with geography, so you're going to get it, right? You see the Mediterranean there way up on the left, right? Just give me a shout out if you see it. Wonderful. Okay, you see the two little bodies of water. The lower one, right, with the blue is the Dead Sea. Above it is Sea of Galilee. In between the two and to the left is Israel. This is where Elijah and Ahab are. And Ahab introduces Baal worship to Israel. Why is the question? I want to tell you why he introduces it. It had a lot to do with his wife Jezebel, who was from Phoenicia down here. And the reason you would worship Baal is because Baal is a fertility god. In other words, Baal supplies food and water, right? Food and water. So I worship and bow down to Baal because he's going to give me a lot of food and water. Now I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid to start. I'm always going to have enough if I worship Baal. So Baal came from up over here. See up on the, way up high on the left, it says Phoenician states. Can you see that? Anybody see that? Oh, it's hard to see. Okay. That is the heart of Baal worship. Now, here's the strange thing. Let me get something really, this is a historical fact. This is so weird. So Israel is worshiping Baal because they want more food and water. And you know what Phoenicia, the heart of Baal worship, right? They never had enough food. You know where they got their food? Take a guess. Israel. This is the most confused thing in the world. What? This is what the enemy does. The enemy whispers confusion. In Star Wars, the enemy is always talking, always seducing, always confusing the Darth Vaders, right? Come to my side. You'll be happy. And the same thing that the enemy does to King Ahab, seduces him and whispers to him. And he does something that doesn't make a bit of sense. Have that, has that ever happened to you? Can you look back over the course of your life and say, Wow, why did I do that? It didn't make a bit of sense. That was just just crazy. Why did I do that? Okay. Maybe it was just because you were being crazy. Could, maybe, could some of it be that there were whispers confusing you? I look back on my life and I realize, oh my gosh, why did I do that really dumb thing? Could it be I was listening to the whispers? Is there a dark What Star Wars is about 
right? You heard him say it. You heard Han Solo say it. In the beginning, he didn't believe. What did he say on the video just a few minutes ago? It's all true. What's all true? What's all true? What's all true? Huh? It's all true. Force, light, darkness, all the battle, the cosmic battle that's going on. The Bible also is saying it's all true. There is a huge fight that's going on, and the anti-God is whispering constantly, bringing confusion, bringing us to a place where we lack, bringing us to a place of famine and emptiness in our lives. That is what the anti-God is doing constantly. The Baal is making promises that he cannot keep. Who are, who, are the major, who are the major villains in Star Wars? Can anybody just shout them out? I know you Star Wars fan. Come on, please. Louder. Like you mean, I mean, you're really into it. Okay, all right. You're not doing as good as the first service. Let's move on. Okay. <clears throat> Star Wars is all about an evil force at work. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. What does it say? For our struggle is not against what? It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it's against rulers. Gosh, this is like straight out of Star Wars. Against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what do they seek to do? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. They seek to confuse us. I look back over my life and I realize, oh my gosh, I think there might be portions of my life where I heard the whispers from the dark side. I did something really foolish. I don't understand it. What should I do? 1 John 4 says I should test the spirits. First of all, I'll say this. Almost 100%, according to surveys in this world, almost 100% of the people in this world believe in God. I know there's a lot of talk about atheism and stuff, but the reality is, everybody, and we're going to really get into this this fall coming up, the reality is, everybody, hardly anybody is on the atheism train. That's just a fact. It's just, just according to all the surveys done, this is a big fact. There's very, a lot of people say they're an atheist, but really deep down they're not, okay? So I don't know what's going on there, but whatever. Almost 100% of the people in this world actually believe in God. Less than 50% believe in an evil force at work. Now, what, does, what, what happens then if that's the case? Well, that puts us at a great disadvantage if I don't think there's a dark side whispering. Because what Star Wars says, and what more importantly the Bible says, is that there are whispers from a dark side seeking to confuse us, and we need to be aware of that. And Han Solo says, it's all true. Now, what is the dark side whispering? Well, let's, uh, let's go to Master Yoda. Let's run the clip. Let's see what, it, what we're whispering. You got to love that Yoda. <laughs> I just feel good with him around, you know. It's just like, I know he looks like Kermit the Frog. But he reminds me of like a prophet from the Old Testament, you know. And this one, I think I told this strong one. Strong am I with the force. He's very strong with the force, he is. Very, very strong. But, I mean, he's, the stuff that he speaks, right? Like his wisdom just kind of pouring. And how did Samuel Jackson get in that movie, you know? I was just, <laughs> like, it's, it's cool, man. I don't know. I just don't see it as a part for Samuel Jackson, but whatever. I didn't, I didn't cast it. It's all good. Here, okay, let's come back. What is, what is the dark side seeking to create? What atmosphere... Okay, Yoda. What atmosphere is the dark side seeking? Famine. Fear. Path. Fear is the path. Fear of what? Fear of lack. 
Garden of Abundance. Cosmic shift, scarcity, lack, fear, greed, got to take more, there's never enough, I got to get my own, you know what I'm saying? Not trusting in God, the force of God, trusting in the whispers of the dark side leads to famine. There's this whole atmosphere of scarcity. Now, I have a question, everybody. We have so much. We have so much, don't we? You'd have to say, here in this community, we have so much. Do we suffer a famine today? Are we living in famine when we have so much? There is an abundance of what we have, but my question to you is this. Are we suffering a famine? What is the dark side creating? All right, let's, let's look at this picture. I know I showed you her. Okay, not Oprah. Who's the other person? Brene Brown. Everybody should know Brene Brown. Okay, we talked about her uh, months ago. She's a, she's a rock star. For TED Talk, people like TED Talk. Who's the TED Talkers here? TED Talk? Has everybody heard of TED Talk? Good, good. On their website, they call Brene Brown a legend amongst TED Talkers. Oprah loves her. That ought to be enough for you right there. Okay? <laughs> she is a rock star. She spent over a decade studying shame, research. Look, this isn't philosophy. Hard data. You gotta love hard data, right? Hard data. And she's put all this together. And you know what she says? She says, We're swimming in shame. We're swimming in lack. We're swimming in fear. Oh, no way. We have so much. It's impossible that we could be swimming in that. Is the dark side speaking? Because we have so much. How is it that we are swimming in shame and fear and lack? We're in a famine, she says. The data shows that the United States of America with so much is in a famine. That's what the data shows. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Now, a few minutes ago, I talked about Adam and Eve. Remember that? And what the anti-God, what that silly snake said to them? Let's do a review. Can we do a review real quick? Let's talk about Eve first. So, so Brene Brown said, I want to research specifically women and their greatest fear, their greatest shame. What's the number one thing that women are, are suffering with? And you know what she came up with? She came up with, I'm lacking. I'm not enough. I'm incomplete. Are you serious? This is what the Bible said thousands of years ago. Are you telling me all the data from the foremost researcher that everybody loves, the rock star legend, says the Bible is absolutely true? That the greatest fear that a woman has is that she's not enough and that she's lacking? She writes this. She says, women, what they're hearing all the time, the whispers are this. I'm never good enough. I'm never thin enough. I'm never successful enough. I'm never smart enough. I'm never perfect enough. I'm never extraordinary enough. I'm not enough. The anti-God, that silly snake, that silly snake seems to be alive. She loves to quote that. Now, they did a terrible job in the first service. Let's see if you do better. <laughs> that perfume commercial, I'm going to start it. You end it. Ready? I can bring home the bacon fry it up in a pan, and never, never let you? That's very weak. Very, very weak. She quotes it all the time. I know it's probably too far back for you guys to remember. She says this, Brene Brown, quote, I see the shame-based fear of being ordinary. I see the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, to be lovable, to belong, or to cultivate a sense of purpose. This is what the anti-gods say. That's what that silly snake said. And she said that is the number one thing that women suffer with today. And when I see that, I say, wait a minute. 
Maybe the Bible actually is true. Maybe there is an evil force at work in this world and it's constantly whispering and we need to take note of that because when we don't, we're at a major disadvantage. How about Adam? So God says to Adam, what? Be strong. So Brown says, she goes to men, wants to figure out what's a man's greatest fear. Right? What's the greatest shame? Man's greatest fear is never be perceived as weak. Same thing the anti-God did. Same thing all those years ago. A decade of research has confirmed what the Bible says. Brown says this. Listen, look, look at the atmosphere. Look at the atmosphere we're living in. I see the cultural messaging atmosphere everywhere that says an ordinary life is a meaningless life. I am as only good as the number of likes I get on Facebook or Instagram. I know none of you feel that way, right? You're all good with that. If nobody likes your photos or whatever, you're all cool with that. But there's some people in the world that, you know, if they don't get all the likes on it, they feel empty. And she says she sees that everywhere. There's a famine in our land. The social media has such, we've created this incredible atmosphere. Uh, I came across this definition for Pinterest. Anybody like Pinterest? Pinterest people? All right, one Pinterest people. I think Pinterest maybe is on the way out because it got a real cool response in the, uh, in the first service. Not many people said they're into Pinterest. Don't know why, but uh, I don't do Pinterest. But I came across this definition. I thought it was good, right? Everybody understands what Pinterest is? No, I'm going to give you the definition so you do. Okay, here it goes. Here's the definition what Pinterest is. Pinterest is a visually driven social media platform strategically designed for nonstop, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week reminders that your kids are not as well-dressed as your neighbors. <laughs> your house is decorated like garbage. The pictures you take on your own phone are comparatively artless. You did a terrible job planning your wedding, and yet you live a generally tedious, monotonous, painfully dull existence that is slowly draining the life out of you, unlike everyone else in your life whose lives are categorically awesome at all times. That's what Pinterest is, right? Huh? We've got this whole atmosphere of famine and of lack and of scarcity. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to get back from all this? Well, Malachi chapter 3, I'd just like to read this to you. It's a very important verse because, because what, the Bible, what the Bible is saying is, is that God is telling us there's this curse. There's this curse, this famine going on. God's not pronouncing. This is very important. God's not pronouncing the curse. A lot of times we read the Bible and say, oh, God's pronouncing, I'm cursing you, like Darth Vader or some whatever Sith Lord, something like that. I'm cursing. That's not what God's doing. That's a whisper of the enemy, I believe. Actually, God is loving us, wanting to help us. He's announcing that we have a problem. We're under a curse. He's not pronouncing. He's announcing. Okay? He says, you're under a curse. Okay? What should we do? Bring the whole tithe. What's a tithe? That's giving 10% of your gross income to God. Well, don't get scared. Just give me a moment. Figure this out. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. That's like the church where you go or whatever. Test me. Only time you see that in Scripture, everybody. Take particular notice of that. Test me. Test me. Test me. God always says, trust me. Don't you ever test me. Right? Don't you ever test me. Here's the one place in all Scripture. God says, test me. Trust me. Why? What are you going to do about it, God? Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing on you, there not be room enough to store it. Now, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme here. This is not goofiness. This is not ridiculous. Okay, woo. I'm going to go out and play the lottery now because I brought the tithe into the storehouse and I gave, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. 
That's not what it's saying. This goes so far beyond money, although it has to do with money. It goes way beyond money. It has to do with the messaging and the lies that we hear all the time and the fact that when we actually say, God, I am believing and trusting in you that you are the sole sustainer of my life, it begins to break the curse that hovers over top of us that God is talking about here, that we live, according to Brown, We live in an atmosphere filled with famine. And when we begin to say, God, I trust you. I'm listening to you, and I'm not listening to the anti-God, and I'm going to trust you. You're going to begin to break the back of those lies that are just being pushed everywhere in society. Right? That's what begins to happen when we say something, when we do something so credible and tangible, say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. God begins to break that. Here's the thing I'd like you to fill in, okay? Put God first and break the curse. Put God first and break the curse. How? How do we put God first? Of course we put God first with our time. Of course, yes, please, please, please do. Please give God priority with your time. Please give God priority with your talent. All of us should. All of us have talents here, and we should serve God with our talents to make a difference for the values and the principles of God's Word. We should do that. We should pray, and we should study the Scripture, and we should have our lives transformed. And we should serve and we should do all of these things. Of course we should. Of course we should. But how much and when and how? Things get very specific. Here's the problem with tithing. 10% of your gross income, there's no ambiguity there. <laughs> you know? can, we little, can, we just like, can we get some gray in there somehow? Can we just make that a little fuzzy? Because I feel much more comfortable if it gets fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? Right? Why do you have to say, what can you say? Oh, well, just give. Just give. When do I pray? How much do I pray? God doesn't say, I want you to pray 45 minutes a day. Doesn't do that. But here he gets really specific. It's very tangible. Look, the deal is, is God doesn't need our money. This is the truth. But we love money. We love money. Thank you. We have one honest person over here. (laughs) We just do. We do, we do, I do, right? I think that if I get more, I will be happier. Come on, all of us think that way. There's so many studies that have been done on this. If I just get more, I will be happier. And God is saying, if you will trust in me, I will sustain you and nothing else will. And the anti-God, the dark side says, trust and believe in me. And God says, I want to set you free from the famine. I want to take you back to abundance and away from this famine. I want to silence the lies that are being spoken. And here's one tangible way you do that. Trust me. I'll prove it to you. Whoa. It's the only place in the Bible that says, I will prove it to you. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, it's one of my mind, right? If somebody asked me, hey, John, how is it that you know? Like, you know, you know, you know that God is at work in your life. How is it? Give me the number one way. You know what I realized? This is it. Malachi chapter 3. It's hard. But when I trust and I tithe, something happens. It always does. It's the number one way God proves it to me. He says, I will prove it to you. The widow, Zarephath, remember Elijah? So here comes Elijah. He comes to this widow. She is the least likely person who is going to put God first. You know why? She lives in the center of Baal worship. Like, what does God have to do with her? She's a Baal worshiper living in the center of Baal. God's not going to have anything to do with her. And you know what? She's the most vulnerable person. Women and children go first. She's in a famine. She's, she just told Elijah, hey, look, we're going to have the last meal. We're going to die. Can you compare your situation to hers? 
She's the least likely person to put God first, and yet she did, and what happens? It never runs dry. God always provides for her. And then you get to the end, verse 24. It's the best part of the whole thing. It's the end. She says, now I know God proved it. You want God to prove something to you? Are you tired of wondering, is God at work in your life? Here's what he says. Here's what happens to the widow. Puts God first. Breaks the curse. Okay? All right. A couple things I want to say, and we're going to conclude. I know we're nervous. Okay. You might be saying right now, you're probably thinking right now, some of you are thinking, if I was sitting where you are, I would be thinking the same thing. Well, John, you just want my money. You just want my money. And so I want to say this. Let's get that off the table right now. Give your money to another church. Okay? If you think that I'm just after your money, go ahead, give your money to another church, tithe to another church. Try this out. Okay? If you're not a tither, you, you think this is crazy, this is ridiculous, you think I'm just after, just let's take it off the table. So that one's done, right? Give your money to another church. Number two, when I get more, I'll tithe. Statistically speaking, this does not happen. <laughs> All the studies show the more money you make, the less you give. That's just a fact, Jack, right? That's just a fact. So no, no, I say that to myself too. Hey, well, God, if you give me some money, I'll... right, okay. It doesn't happen. This is not about money. It's about the courage to believe what God said. It's about me saying, hey, God... I believe that you can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. That's how powerful I think you are. And I'm going to believe, God, that you're going to begin to silence the forces and the whispers of famine in my life that our world is obviously experiencing when I trust you, when I listen to you and I don't listen to the anti-God. It's not about money. It's about the courage to believe. It's about who is going to sustain my life. It's about silencing the whispers, breaking the curse, and shutting the enemy up. It's not about being a good person. This is, this is not about, I want you to feel guilty, so you should give. This is not about, oh, man, please, would you please give to Grace Community Church because how are we going to keep the lights on unless you do? Forget it. We're not worried about that. The decision we made early on when this church was, we're not going to wave the offering flag all over the place. As you know, maybe it's your first time here. Those of you come all the time, the offering things are in the back. We never mention them. You know what we decided to do early on? We said, you know what? All right. Here, okay. Can I express a frustration with you? No, and I won't. <laughs> okay, so what happens too often? What happens too often is uh, people like me, pastors. Right. God, give, you gotta give. If I really feel, right, that you all should trust God with your money and you should tithe, then the church also as a community, me as a pastor, ought to make sure the church actually is giving more than 10% of its income away to bless other people. If I really believe it, we should do that. And we made a decision many years ago that's exactly what we're going to do. We've never come close to 10%. We've always way exceeded that. And that's why we never talk about the offering in the back. You know why? Because we don't need to because we trust that God says, I will take care of that. That's why we don't do that. So we're trying to practice what we preach. Okay? It's okay. You know? Okay. All right. Uh, let's have the music team up, come up, and they're going to include in a song, and I got one thing I want to say to you, and, and we're all done. Okay? So, all right. Here they come. Look at them. They're all excited. Uh-huh. They're up there with their light saber colors. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Okay, three things to write down. These are actually very important. Three things, and all they mean something. I'm working to something, okay? A, ABCs. Here's the ABC. A, B. A, determined to tithe. 
Think about this this morning. Really, I want you to think about this. Some of us are, oh, man. And I know the whispers of the dark side are just exploding in this room right now. Okay, I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. Determine to tithe. Determine to tithe for 30 days next month. All right? Most people get paid twice a month, 15, 30, whatever. Determine 10% of your gross income. A. But you got to do all three, A, B, C. Here's B. You got to do this. Treat it as sacred. Sacred. This is an act of worship. It's an act of trust and faith in God. Oh, my gosh. Just don't write a check or whatever. You, just, you know, or push the button. No, 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 no. Pray. Almighty God. This is what I do. Every month. Almighty God. Here it is. I am, tr- my trust is in you. You are my sustainer. Look, this goes way back. This is not like, oh, God's going to pour money. I'm going to buy a Ferrari this week. No, 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 no. The fear, the lack, the emptiness, the unfulfillment that exists in our world, according to Brown, is palpable. And I'm suggesting to you today, from all of her research, that she's saying we are living in an atmosphere of famine, and that famine gets broken. We trust in God. It gets broken. That curse gets broken. So I say, oh, God, I'm believing you're my sustainer. Nothing else sustains me. I can trust and put my hope in you. Pray. Treat it sacred. Final thing. C. Keep a record of what happens. I'm very serious about A, B, and C. Keep a record. Keep a record. If this is important, you'll keep a record. You know what? There's no ambiguity there. The dark side loves the gray. Ambi- oh, whatever. Oh, I'm not sure. 10% tithe to God. Oh, I'm not. Mm. Loves it. Loves it. When you get specific, right? And you write it down. God says, I will prove it to you. I love the ending of this. The widow says, now I know. I want you to keep a record because then you can go back to the record and say, oh my gosh, I now see because I put pen to paper that God did something awesome. My, um, my wife loves flags. Serious. We put them out in front of the house all the time. Which one do you think this is? Yes, you're exactly right. That's Easter. I, we have hundreds of these things. I just grabbed the first couple off the box, right? And we put them out. We've been doing this for, uh, it seems like, a million years. And I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm in charge of putting them up, right? So here we go. What, what's that one? Yes, yes. We put a little pole right outside the front door. Okay. How about this one? What do you think this is? Uh, yeah. Valentine's Day. We have hundreds of these things. Hundreds of them. I, it, like, we change them every day, it seems like, to me, right? What's that? Whoa. Huh? What? Right, well, anytime it's getting ready to snow, we put it out, right? There, there you go. So, so because we change them all the time, we've been doing this for years. You know what she does? She'll get the flag, and at the bottom of the steps, she'll, like, cover the last three steps. So I would actually have to leap across three steps, right, to get over, because what is she trying to do? She's trying to get my attention. Like, it's clear. Put the flag up. You know? <laughs> We've been doing this for a decade, man. Put the flag up. And I see it. My first thought is, you know, the, is there, she wants me to put, but the moment the thought comes, it's like this dark side force comes in and says, well, you don't know why that flag's there. I mean, well, I mean, you don't know what she wants. She, she didn't leave you a note. She didn't tell you specifically what to do with it. Just hop over the flag. And then later on in the day, she comes home and she sees it. The flag is still there. She says, what are you doing? What are you? You had to like kill yourself to jump over this thing. And I said, well, I didn't know. It was unclear. What was I supposed to do with the flag? I was unsure what you meant by draping the flag over the bottom three. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. 
So there's ambiguity, and the dark side is always whispering ambiguity. And you know what? I believe Yoda would probably say this, happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> and that is true. That is true. Unhappy wife. <laughs> Don't put the flag up. You stick with the ambiguity, and it's bad. I mean, it's just not good. It's just not good. There's nothing ambiguous. <laughs> and there's no ambiguity with this one here. Tithe. God is really clear. Tithe, I'll prove it. Tithe, I'll prove it. Some of us today, I know you're like, oh my gosh, what's the deal, John? Look, here's the thing. God is so clear with this. Here's what, here's what I want to say to you. Try it out for one month. Keep a record. Do A, B, and C that I just read. You don't see God prove himself to you, we'll give you all your money back, okay? That's not a gimmick. I'm not starting a commercial, okay? I am that convinced of God's word and I've seen it at work in my life and so many people's lives you try it out you're scared to do it you try it out you pray you track you believe doesn't work come talk to me we give you all your money back okay some of you are on the doorstep of abundance and it's time to shut down the whispers of the enemy that says there's a famine in the land okay let's stand we're going to sing a song. I want to encourage you, even during the song while it's going on, our prayer team, they've been praying about this all week. I know some of this is serious. Some of us are feeling tremendous lack and fear. They're over there. They've been praying all week for this moment to pray with you. You can go over right while the song's going on. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you promise us abundance. You silence the voice of the enemy that is so at work in this world today that is speaking famine. And God, you offer us something different. Help us to trust and believe in you in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. amen. Thanks, everybody. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.